Okay. <laughs> Let's get on with this. Let's get on to season three. And the reason so many, at least I think, the biggest reason why so many people remember season three so well. Azadi Prime, Damage, The Forgotten. These episodes form a core trilogy around which almost the entire rest of the season revolves. So much of the arc episodes, the ones that aren't filler, have been building up to this trilogy, and all of the events that happen after, with one potential filler episode I don't remember all that well, will be dealing with the consequences of this trilogy. Now, as much as I don't like the core trio thing, you know, the big three that they do in Holotrek, I do have to admit, at the very least, they do something with said big three, and this is the biggest example of that in Enterprise. Each one of these three episodes is, well, I don't want to say dedicated to, it's definitely more focused on one of the big three characters. Sorry, I've got some weird black mustache. This one, of course, is Archer. Berman and Braga apparently did some story stuff with this, which doesn't surprise me, given that they Braga in particular probably had some of this mapped out for a while, you know, given the build-up thing I already mentioned, and we had to have the Daniels thing, which, whatever. But Manny Cotto is the one who actually penned the script. The teleplay, I should be more clear about that. And it kind of shows. We also had Alan Croker back as director, so that's good. They get into system. They can't be detected for some reason. I'm not even going to speculate on why. You, you, you people have sensors that can detect things light years away. There's a ship right there. But whatever. I'm going to let it go. Degra proposes a toast to his people. A new future for all Zindi. Keep that in mind. Paul needlessly pokes Hoshi for some needless exposition, and then we have needless attempts at humor. These scenes kind of suck, so we're just going to move through them. They don't follow the tone or feeling of the rest of this episode at all, and it feels like they kind of were just put in to pad out the runtime. So, they're detected. The, mo the moon that's rotating has a little outpost. They see them. Once the, the outpost is around, they're going to send a signal. That's it. There, there's nothing else there. And for once, for once, this is exactly what it needs to be. I've actually referenced this scene before when I've talked about how much they've misstepped the I did what I had to theme up until this point. Because here, they have to do this. They have to destroy that area. There's, there's no ifs, ands, or buts. There's no other options. Take out the facility. Kill those people. Or it's the end. Now, we could probably argue that with transporters in time, they could probably disable it in their comms to the point where they can do something with it, and maybe board, go down and board them and stun them or something. And I'll, I'll grant you that. I will actually grant you that. But in the moment, with the limited resources, they decide, no, one torpedo. And the whole scene is quiet. There's no celebration. It's not this big, dramatic moment. And Archer knows exactly what he's just done, and this is step number two in his character arc. Because it hurts. Having to do this, having to take this action, hurts him. So, uh, by the way, you'll notice T'Pol also questions it. Like I mentioned, could have happened in several previous instances. Sir? We don't have time. Just, just do it. Okay. So... This is when we find out that the weapon, the Death Destructo Ray, or the Omega Mega Cannon, if you prefer, is being built underwater. 
I was wondering about that, but I suppose if you can build such a thing like that and build it underwater, then it's going to be good to go for multiple other types of situations like, you know, any kind of gas giant, whatever, you know, anything where there's a large amount of pressure. So I suppose there's a degree of sense. And of course, they want to keep this thing hidden. It just feels like they're making their job a lot harder than it needs to be just for the sake of secrecy. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just spitballing there. Either way, they go in, they get their scans, cut to them already being out. Good for pacing. Unlike the earlier bits, which I complained about, this fits very neatly and tightly. And with one exception, the rest of this episode is gold. I have no complaints with one exception after this point. So we're going to get a weapon, uh, or excuse me, we're going to get some bombs on board one of our shuttle pods. We're going to get it into the weapon there, and they're going to destroy it from within. And it's a suicide mission. If they blow it up and die in the process, then they're dead. If they blow it up then they and somehow survive the blowing it up, they will be detected and hunted down, and there's no chance of escape, and they will be dead. There's even a decent chance that the Enterprise will be destroyed in the process, but at least they can, you know, peace out and try to get out of here, knowing that the mission has been accomplished. But that's it. This is a one-way trip, a suicide mission. This is when step three happens in Archer's arc. Archer was not a good captain. Now... Let me be very clear. That's not an insult. It is, in fact, part of his character. He was a pilot who had a chip on his shoulder. And he was an explorer. But despite that repeated note that bothered the piss out of me in Season 1, and especially in Season 2, Archer must be right, you remember that? That has been completely abandoned, finally, thankfully. And now what we have is someone who was inexperienced who wasn't ready for the responsibility, who wasn't ready for the weight that was going to be put on his shoulders, the ash that he was going to carry around. And he didn't know how to cope with that. At first, he just made the orders, made the tough calls. But as the episode shows, that one last call of having to destroy those innocent Zindi was kind of the last straw. It was the final piece of straw that broke his back. And now he is a broken man. So Archer fails. This is Archer's real arc. The fact that he descends, not by becoming a dark and horrible person, not because he's like, I will torture and do whatever I must. No, it's because the acts have broken him so badly that he no longer has the ability to be captain, to be commander, to do his job. He makes what is probably the worst possible calls he could make under these circumstances with the information he has at his disposal, which, I feel like pointing out, includes someone from the future telling him, hey, this is a terrible idea. Everyone disagrees with this choice, and he makes it very clear. The only reason he does this is he's not ordering anyone else to their deaths. Except that's kind of what the job requires, especially under these circumstances. So, that guilt and all of that strains him, and now, well, now we get to the other and final misstep of the episode. He's dragged into the future by 400 years. I thought about taking some time and really dissecting how little sense this makes, because in order for this to happen, the time distortion wave that they mentioned earlier must have been traveling really slowly, because it's gotten 400 years in the future, but, except it hasn't, uh, sorry, sorry, I'm saying this the wrong way. It hasn't yet gotten to 400 years in the future, so the previously existing 400 years in the future is still there for them to drag him back to, so he could show him the, the universe-class Enterprise-J, which, can I just say, that ship looks terrible. 
I've always hated that design, and seeing it in STO was just, huh? And it doesn't help that it's the size of a friggin' space station. Anyways. So, the wave is still advancing, and he goes back here before he jumps back over the wave to put him here, even though the Zindi conflict was never happening, despite the fact that... <sighs> Let's just let this alone. Okay, I, I get it. They didn't think it out. They didn't. They didn't plan this out. The only way this makes sense is if we bend their own rules to the point of breaking them. Whatever. Daniels pulls Archer forward and says, you can't do this. Now, he, he goes on, he goes for the idealistic bent. You know, we need, this is about the Federation. The Zindi are part of the Federation and, and this is a greater future and we're against the sphere builders and blah, blah, blah. What's funny about this is not much of this is news to Archer and Archer doesn't seem to give a damn. Now, that makes sense. Oh, Archer does give a damn and he is retaining it. The problem is, he is so locked into that mindset of, I must do what I must, and not realizing what he's doing is completely incorrect, that he hasn't really acknowledged or processed any of this yet. So he just, he doesn't really care yet. But he is taking it in. This, uh, also, what's funny about this is Daniels is the only one who brings up the obvious point here. If you destroy the weapon, they'll just make another one. In fact, no one else brings up the other obvious point. If you just destroy the weapon, all you will have done is continued a state of war between your people. A war which you will lose, because the Zindi have superior numbers, if absolutely nothing else, and superior fleets and shipbuilding capability and the vortex thing they can use to get around, and y you're not going to win this fight. Now, this is also kind of one of the cool things about this trilogy, and one of the cool things about this whole setup. They're fighting an enemy that they shouldn't be. Now, sometimes Trek handles this well, and then sometimes Trek handles this badly. And in this case, I think this is actually one of the better examples. They really aren't the enemy of the Zindi. Not really. And that is something that needs to be gotten across. These people need to be given information to make informed choices, rather than acting out of fear and ignorance, which is how they have been kept. Something we'll see next episode. So Daniels gives him the medal, one of the only tidbits of relevance here. This then leads to, uh, for once, there's this nice bit where uh, T'Pol is arguing in the favor of time travel and is kind of grief-stricken. She's not doing super hot either. Her emotions are starting to get a little bit more out of control. We'll talk about that later. And she is not handling any of this. She actually flat out says, I don't want you to die. To be clear, I don't think there's even a scrap of romance here. I think I've made that opinion clear already. But even if there was, it doesn't matter, because the relevant point is T'Pol is now cracking under the strain that Archer is placing upon her by his bad decision. Now, I know what you're going to say. Lore, you keep saying this is the bad decision, but this works out. Yeah, by sheer, dumb, doodah, clueless luck. If it wasn't for very specific circumstances and a backup option that was a long shot on top of a long shot, this would not have worked. What Archer did was not the correct approach. He got lucky. And he happened to have someone from the future to give him some information and actual materials he could use as part of evidence. And then everything else that's led up to this. He still made the incorrect choice. I'm sorry. Anyways. So, this then leads to Dalem. Now, he's been present ever since episode one, the Zindi. Uh, Mr. General Dalem. And he says, I'll kill them, and I'll hunt them down, and I'll kill their children, and I'll kill their puppies, 
They'll kill their, their their little stands and their 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 gingerbread houses. Oh, it must be destroyed. I've mentioned before that a few people have accused me of being a little war hockey. For contrast, this is war hockey. <laughs> this 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 is a war hawk right here. Wow, dude. None of them are all super into this, and De- Degra is like, this is awful. I don't know how to deal with this. A good number of those people were about to kill her innocents and children's, and the arboreal gentleman, I don't remember his name, forgive me, says it's best not to think about it. It's a hard choice, so we do what we have to. I do like, however, that it shows that neither of them is comfortable with this choice. Neither of them likes this choice. It is simply what they're being forced to do with the information they have at hand. Meanwhile, that station they took out, hey, didn't report in, and they took that as a loss of info, so they go scouting credit for actually being logical and making sense. So, then Archer gives the explorer speech. I love this. Get out there. Get back to that job of exploring. No. (laughs) No. Now, I get this. I do. Them going in there and destroying the weapon is one of the only things they can do right now. They are stalling for time. But this is, what they are effectively doing is precipitating a war that they don't really have a good chance of winning. There's no going back to exploration if he gets in there and destroys that weapon. It's just not happening. Either way, Tucker then you know notes that T'Pol is not doing well. Tears. And actually walks in. This came close to being a good scene. It's not. Uh, it, it's, it's acceptable, but it's not a good scene. Because Tucker has to explain to T'Pol, the commander, who has a great deal of command experience at this point, the bleeding obvious that she needs to be on the bridge so people know that things are under control. The morale side of the equation. She responds, get the hell out of my quarters. That's why it works. Because it's clear that even though Tucker is telling her what she already knows, that's the part that's irritating. The fact is, she does already know this, and she's just making this choice because she's breaking, too. We'll come more to that later. So naturally, Archer is detected immediately. And then we see the Jack Bauer interrogation. Very nice, very nice. It's also interesting that the threat on the ship... The threat against his ship is the thing that actually gets through to Archer, actually bothers him, not the being beaten up. After all, if Archer has a talent or skill set at this point in time, it's probably getting the crap beaten out of him. But this then leads to the desperation play. I picture this as a card game, except it's hard to explain because it, like, this would have to be MTG or something because he's only got one card in his hand. He literally only has the one card. He cannot play anything else. He cannot do anything else. And this will not work. It's why he hasn't played it before. But in but, it, but it's all that's left. And he has got nothing to lose at this point. So, he plays that last card. Please contact Degra. And tell him the, 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 the third child thing. Which we learned back in Stratagem. This is interesting because it mirrors to Paul's decision. T'Pol decides to make the incorrect choice. She, the last remaining truly experienced commander on the ship, I know Tucker has some experience and uh, uh, Reed does too, but let's be honest, T'Pol is the other actual mainline captain of this ship, decides to go and take a ship and head out there and try to diplomatize her way through things. Now, in the interest of fairness, that has a chance of working. It certainly has more of a chance of working than Enterprise going in guns blazing. The thing is... She is making this decision for all the wrong reasons. She is doing this out of guilt and anger and fear and all of that pain. And that sounds familiar, doesn't it? 
She, in fact, gets seconds away from doing this before she is saved from this action by the incoming Zindi ships, which start pulverizing them. Meanwhile, Archer <laughs> tries an interesting tactic with Degra. And it really is interesting because it almost flies in the face of everything we've seen so far. No duplicity, no stratagem, no tactics. He is not just honest, he is open. And there's a distinction between the two. Honesty is not lying and telling the truth. Openness is volunteering the truth and trying to actually be non-duplicitive in how you communicate. You know, openly volunteering stuff is completely different from technically being honest and therefore being able to still deceive people, right? But no, he lays it all out there. No hesitation, no holding back. This, this, and this, and this, and this. And his raw, unfiltered honesty includes his own anger at this. I don't like this anymore. He even cusses him out. But you, this is going to be the end of your species just as much as it is mine. And I don't like this any more than you do. And blah, blah. And he just pours that into it. And I might be wrong, but I think that's what gets their attention. Then they go and carbon date the thing. Excuse me. Quantum date. Another irritant about the fact that quantum dating is once again being used as a plot device. And we're moving on. This then leads to the primates and the arboreals considering the situation. How appropriate is it that in, in, in this story, it is a reasonable scientist and a reasonable politician who are the crux of this having a chance in hell of succeeding? How often do you see that in fiction? The mad scientist and the politician are the ones arguing for the good guy's side. And Mr. Arboreal, I need to look up his name at some point, is also kind of along with this. This this lines up with everything he knows. And he doesn't want to do any of this crap. The idea that they have been deceived is so much easier to swallow than something along the lines of, you have to go kill billions of people. Because they don't want to do that. So naturally they would try to embrace that. And all three n cling to this idea. They dismiss it. They talk bad of it. They, tr they poke holes in it. They talk about all the ways it's wrong. But at the end of the day, they keep on the course of that being the truth because they want it to be the truth. Because they aren't mass murderers in the mentality, in the, in the philosophy. They in no way want to do what they have done. It is simply what they have had to do. And when you have to do what you have to do, well, if you suddenly don't have to, that's relief right there. They also mentioned, by the way, two other very important things. She, which they mention a couple of times, and we'll have to get information to the aquatics clandestinely. This then leads to, to Paul and the attack. Archer is confronted by the politician gentleman. I can't remember his name. He's actually a great actor. I loved him back in Space Above and Beyond as uh, the Commodore, if you remember that show. Great show. I recommend it, by the way. Now that your mission has failed, you negotiate. Notice Archer has no response to that. Because he's right. Archer made the incorrect call. But also, Archer only tried to negotiate when his desperate attempt to destroy the weapon failed. This is Archer's next step in his arc. He realizes that doing what must be done, doing what I had to, Having to make the tough calls can go the other way, the more intangible way. Instead of, I must torture, and I must kill, and I must do these evil acts, sometimes it means letting go, trusting, 
being open, being honest, and being willing to contact someone who is a mortal enemy who has killed seven million of your people and trying to reach out a hand to them. And if that doesn't sound hard... <laughs> credit to Bakula. He sells how difficult this is for him to do. But he keeps trying, and he keeps pushing, and he keeps saying, this, this, this is it, this is the truth, this is where it is. Cards on the table. Bam! This is when the money really starts to come in. They've saved it for a couple episodes in a row, actually, if you're paying attention. And now they start showing it, and boy, howdy, they trash the Enterprise sets. Just absolutely smash them. Actually have the ceiling come down on the bridge. Wow. And then the episode ends. Before I cut off, two things. First of all, I love how the reptilians help Archer's case. Archer is trying to argue that the reptilians are going behind their backs and that there's, you know, that they're going to wipe out this thing and that they have been lied to by the uh, Tutarians, right? And yet they're like, uh... and then the reptilians come in after having gone behind their backs and decided to wipe out things after ignoring their own agreements and deciding that they're not going to uh, follow orders that have been given by the council. Oh, and they actively outright threaten the others. This action, probably more than anything else, is probably one of the big pushing elements, one of the dominoes that really helps to sway those members of the council that Archer is actually legit on this. We'll discuss that next episode. The other thing, this is yet another advantage. I've been saving this for a long time. This is yet another advantage of string continuity. Consequence. In an episode of Voyager... Voyager could get, and this has happened, Voyager would get absolutely smashed, and then the next episode, it's perfectly fine. Not even mentioned. No reference to the previous episode. No connection whatsoever. You can't do that in string continuity. The next episode follows this one immediately. So they have to acknowledge all that damage. And we know that. And because they've been doing string continuity until now, this is an established point. So for the viewers watching this for the first time, we know this is going to stick. And that gives it so much more impact. I'm sure they're going to survive. They might not. And towards the end of the seasons, when you kill off a major character, after all, if they're going to do that, and it becomes more of a, how the hell are they going to live through this? Rather than, oh, this is going to be done by the next episode. Good stuff. Very good stuff. Part one down. Let's move on to part two.